You are listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the buck stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now, over to your host, James Nagel. Welcome to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders. I'm your host, James Nagel, and my guest today is Jackie Scano. Jackie helps individuals develop their leadership. She is part of the L&D team in PwC Dublin and specializes in designing and delivering leadership development programs. She is also an executive coach and is the regional vice chair of the Association for Coaching Ireland. Prior to working in L&D, Jackie spent 15 years in the hospitality sector, working her way through operational management and human resources roles. So it's my pleasure to introduce Jackie Scannell. Hello, James. Great to be talking to you today. Today, we thought we'd explore the topic of why you won't make it as a partner if you consider it as just another step up. So looking at that whole area of director and partnership level, how have the expectations changed over the last 10 years? So I suppose everything has changed over the last 10 years. So it's obvious then that the leadership development part of it all will change too. 10 years ago, we gave people a roadmap. We mapped out competencies and skills and asked them to follow that to get to the leader they wanted to be. But that has changed because not we have a whole load of new products, we have new skills, we have um, new businesses out there. The economy has changed over the last 10 years. So the leaders need to change with that. So one of the things that has really changed about my role as developing leaders is the focus is on the leader and not on the leadership competency. So we look at a leader and we say, where's your vision? Who are you? Why should you be a leader? And I suppose back to Simon Sinek, we start with why and we work with the leader as to why they want to be there and why they want to do what they want to do. And this then helps them start that leadership journey. This helps them think about their mindset. It helps them think about what they want to do as a leader and how they're going to do that. But it does start with that question of why. And when you stand in front of a room of, you know, 10 or 20 high potentials, and you ask them that question, mm -hmm. how, how do they react? Uh, some of them freak, I'll be very honest with you. Some of them think, oh, well, I'm here, I'm on this path. You know, I've either chosen to be on it or I'm on it because someone else has put me on it. But actually, the, the big difference that we make is by being coaches with them. Because when you slow down the process and you say to somebody, um, okay, tell me why. And you do that on a one-to-one -one basis and you allow them time to reflect and you allow them time to think. That's when they start to respond. That's when they start to think about it. Not everyone does. Uh, some people actually think, oh, I don't know what you mean. And they, they're they not sure about it. Um, or, you know, I would have said to you before, they say, well, I'll, I'll think about what you said, but I'll think about it after I've done my job. After, you know, I'll think about it at the weekend. Um, but actually, by allowing people space to reflect on who they are, why they want to do this, they, they do come up with their plan. They do come up with what it's about and they do make better leaders as a result. On LinkedIn, for example, there's many templates of people saying, find your why and, you know, fill in these four yeah. boxes and it'll appear. Yeah. But you see it in reality. So does it require one-to-one -one work or is it something that you can make good progress with on a sort of a scale level, a, a workshop level? So 
there's a bit of both. So it depends on where somebody's at. It depends on what work they've done already. It depends when they started to think about leadership. Um, and if they started to think about leadership, you know, fairly early in their career, you know, they're just tuning back into it. And actually the group work is, is perfect for them. It allows them to do this in a group of like-minded people. If someone is only thinking about it for the first time or they haven't actually thought about leadership is more than their technical capability or they've just thought they're on this path to partner because they're a high performer, um, the coaching element, the one-to-one element really helps them slow it down and really helps them think it through. When, when you ask about role models, uh, this is a bit of a cheeky question. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you ask for the role models, how many of them point to people within the professional, the PwC environment, or do they always revert to the sports star? So we get a lot of sports stars. We get, uh, absolutely, we get uh, a lot of that, all right. Um, one of the questions I ask people is, tell me about a leader who I wouldn't know. Tell me about a leader in your life who I wouldn't know. And so I hear a lot about these guys, uh, GAA coaches, rugby coaches, somebody's mother. Um, I hear a lot about people in everyday life who demonstrate leadership. And that's where we start the focus. Um, We don't start it on um, the big leaders that we all know in the world. We start from the everyday leader that they see around them. You made an interesting comment there about how people sort of, I'll do my day job and this is somehow seen as an appendix. It's I'll work on it at the weekend. How do you encourage them or how do you get them to apply it in their day-to-day routine? So you have to show where it's relevant. So one of the things um, we do in leadership development is we focus on emotional intelligence. And sometimes when you start to use that term emotional intelligence, someone thinks emotions are for outside work. Emotions are happy or sad. Okay, They don't see, you know, how they use their emotions to tune into what's going on with themselves, with the people around them. Um, And when you start to look at that practically, Okay, that's when they start to think, actually, this is part of my everyday. So when you look at the skills that they need to motivate their teams, to have empathy, to have compassion with their teams, when you look at the skills they need to tune into their clients and understand what their clients need for them, even just through deep listening, when they start to see the practicality of these skills, that's when they start to say, this is important for me. I need to do this. And one of the things is when I work with people, and this is about all professions, you work with people who are technically brilliant. They spend a lot of time training for this area, whether it's accountancy, whether it's tax, whether whatever it is, they're technically brilliant. And everyone tells them they're technically brilliant. So when they have to start to think about how do I communicate my technical brilliance? That's a, in brackets, soft skill. When they've realized the importance of getting that right um, to be successful, that's when they start listening. That's when they tune in. And, and that's when they develop these leadership skills. And it's funny, at, at what stage in the career will you ask people to think about their leadership style and ask them that tough question? Because as you say, these people are high achievers all through school, all through university. They're, you know, they're first in their group as they yeah. go through every year. Yeah. And then they feel they've made it. And then you start going, OK, now, now the rules have changed. <laughs> the goalposts have moved and you now need to be good at something like EQ. Yeah. yeah. Um, at what point do you believe you need to start asking that question? So in PwC, our 
uh, framework, our competency framework has five areas. And one of them is technical and digital. The others are business acumen, global and inclusive relationships and whole leadership. So we say you start leadership early in your career. So even before you become a manager, we talk to you about leadership. And there's a great story. Um, we have a young manager, just made manager, and she designed a process that took out hours of work, uh, stopped a repetitive task, and she just did it off her back. Why? She was curious if she could do it. She was bored with what she was doing. And she created a process now that everyone else is doing. Um, she also created um, an environment where all her colleagues are looking to see what they can do as well. What can they change? Um, they've now got interesting work. So she has demonstrated leadership as a very, very junior manager. Um, and she has influenced the leadership agenda in her area. So anyone can be a leader if they've got the curiosity, if they've got the imagination, the creativity, anyone can be a leader. So we encourage that early in people's careers. Yeah, I love that example. The fact that it's what you bring to the role. It's not what the yeah. role brings to you necessarily. No. So, no. That, no. so maybe for a 25, 30 year old listening, that's great. They can see it. Yes. Let's look at the 40-year-old Yes, who's technically brilliant, et cetera, but is now at that challenge where they need yeah. to step up in some way. Yes. How do you get them to, let's say, admit their vulnerability, admit that there's a need to sort of start again with something? How are you able to um, get under their skin? So um, the best way to get onto someone's skin is to take some time with them and to understand their skin in the first place. And that's why coaching comes in. And now coaching's not the answer to everything. I'm not suggesting that. But a good coach will just get on the same page with this person and then we'll say to them, so where do you want to go? Talk to me about your vision. Talk to me about where you want to be in a few years time. Because when they know where they want to be, okay, you can then say to them, well, what's the path to get there? And how do you know? Where's the evidence that that's the path? Because when they start looking at the evidence, they'll start looking at, you know, what are the skills of the future? And what's very interesting is, you know, a lot of people and leaders, particularly in the last couple of years, have had to really get on with this digital agenda. Leaders have had to embrace technology and trust technology and trust the people below them who know technology. But also we're looking now to say, what are the next set of skills of the future? So it's the human skills that work side by side with technology. So we're saying leaders need compassion, empathy, creativity, innovation, emotional intelligence, critical thinking. These are all key skills and there's evidence to prove that out there. So if you take that 40 year old ish person and say to them, where do you want to go and what is the skills going to take to get you there? That's when they start thinking about it. That's when they tune into what's important to them if they want to go anywhere. So they, they know what they want, but they're not necessarily willing to do the hard work to get there, right? <laughs> so so yeah. mo most are willing. Uh, some people just don't realize it because, you know, they've been rewarded right through their career for being technically brilliant. So if you've got someone who's been rewarded every year for being the best at what they do, um, there's something in them that wants to be the best. So once their eyes are opened to what it takes to be the best at another level, they, they're quite open to it once they understand it. So this may be a tangential question, but let, 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 let's explore it. Given these are high achievers and they're used to getting scores and they can track their progress quite clearly, and then they hear about something which is a bit less familiar, which is the emotional intelligence. Clearly that does have a score. When you take an emotional intelligence, you know, the EQI, you get a score. Mm -hmm. 
Is that something you share with people? Is that something they ask for? Is it something they're aware of? And it's not to compare against others. It's so they see progress themselves. So um, the report we use is the Raven Barron report, and you can get it with a score. We don't, okay? Because we want to make a difference between emotional intelligence and cognitive intelligence. We don't want to give it a score. Because let's face it, it doesn't matter how high your emotional intelligence is. It matters how you apply it. And we also say to people, it's about balance. It's about, you know, you could be really, really have strong assertiveness, emotional intelligence, but your empathy is really low because those two are not balancing each other out. So we don't look at the scores with emotional intelligence. There's two questions. And I just did one the other day with someone. And I said to them, when you look at your report, okay, how does this support you be a leader? How does it support you on your journey? What on this report can you leverage from to be the leader? And is there anything missing? That's all it means. It doesn't need a score. It just needs it to be viewed through those lens. It, it's that appreciation that it's an opportunity to develop and gives you insights, you know, but it's it's a different chip you need to apply in your own head that <laughs> most people go and go, okay, that's great, but how, how do I compare yes. against the other guys yeah. or the other girls? Yeah. In the, in, in and, the you know, two of the subcomposites we use in the particular emotional intelligence report we use is self-actualization and self-regard. So someone with very high self-actualization will ask you for the score because they want to measure themselves against everybody else. But then that's a great coaching conversation in itself. Okay. So let, let's just bring it back to the, the the theme of, you know, why you won't make it as a partner if you consider it as just the next step up. Because this is a, something that I strongly believe in, I encountered it in my own career, that there's an element where this is not just the next progression. You, you have to sort of reinvent yourself a little bit. So you've talked about some interventions, coaching uh, that you use. Can you talk a little, a little bit more about what you found that works? Because this is also for the audience, what they can look for and what they can ask for and where they should invest their time. So they should look for as early in their career as they're ready to leadership moments, moments when they make a difference, moments when they're curious about what they can do next, and moments where they think we should be doing this. How do I do it? So early in their career, they should look for those moments. Um, If I can tell a story, uh, I went to watch my nephew, eight years of age, at his rugby camp last summer. And I noticed on the pitch, some of the youngsters were actually demonstrating leadership. They had the vision, which is to win on the rugby pitch, but they were able to make decisions quickly, communicate their decisions to the other kids on the team and then celebrate success. And then there was other kids on the pitch and they were delighted to follow these leaders. They were delighted to hear their decisions. They were delighted to celebrate the success with the people who had created the moves and made the decisions. So they're leadership moments okay so they're available to us from very early in life whether we're playing rugby on the pitch with our friends or whether we're in work and we're looking to see what do we do next what can we create next so to me you can choose to be a follower or you can choose to be a leader you can't say well I'm going to be a follower for now and then you know what in 10 years time I'm going to be a partner so I'll switch into my leadership then it doesn't work like that you need to create your leadership from as early as you've made that decision, you're going to be a leader. And that impulse when you feel yourself saying we should be doing that is a great one. Yeah. That, yeah. that comes yeah. from within. So when you, when you look at the, the groups of people that you're working with, 
who are on the way up. What are the things which are coming out for them when they look at PwC and maybe all the big professional services firms? What are the changes which people are asking for? We should be doing that. So um, a lot in the last couple of years, a lot of the changes have been around technology um, have been around different services. So you have people who have to establish new businesses and have to get out there and talk to clients and establish a new business. Um, but a lot, of, we, we've grown as a firm and we have 3,200 employees at the moment in PwC Ireland. So as a leader, you need to motivate people. You need to be able to tune into what your people need so that they can develop and they can deliver for you. So a lot of times as a coach, I'm also working with leaders who are creating other leaders. I'm working with the everyday managers of the people who are going to become the future leaders so that they can create that. They can establish an environment where people will take a risk, will take a chance, will learn quickly uh, and will do it again, where they're uh, not afraid to make a suggestion, where they're actually looking for the next great idea. Many people have said that the, you know, the coronavirus moment is when things have been accelerated. Can you talk to that other ideas which have sort of been proven right that you'd heard suggested maybe six or 12 or two years ago? that have now come of age? Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're all working virtually at the moment and we're working virtually because we have technology. Um, you know, there would have, if you want people to, to motivate your people, you know, they should be able to work in a way that suits them most and where they can be most creative and where they can actually build on their strengths and use their strengths. It is constant change. Our leaders have to be agile. They have to keep moving forward and they have to have the ability to bring people with them. So um, it is true that they have to do that. And we would have read about it, but we can see that now. And I can imagine there are many senior experienced people who who are a bit threatened by this because the, 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 they'd reached a level, there was a sort of a stability and a familiarity with what they were doing. And now, you know, with your experience, how do you develop agility from a standing start? <laughs> how do you develop agility? Um, so the first thing you do is you get comfortable collaborating and you get comfortable talking. OK, so you develop agility by by collaborating, talking to others, having a network, having conversations, listening um, what other people have tried. And then you also develop agility by being comfortable with failure, being comfortable with showing your vulnerability um, and being comfortable in allowing others to do the same so that you can actually move and learn quickly. It's about learning quickly. And that, that's how you develop it. How many people pick you up on that message? Do you see many people able to change that behavior and able to take more risks? Because failure, I, I hear this everywhere. Yeah. Failure is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's not the natural reaction for many people. No, it's not. It depends what happens when you fail. So as a leader, you need to create an environment that is allowing people to fail and move on quickly. So it depends on what happens when you fail. Um, no, it's not easy for people to pick this up. Most people pick up on this when they have to, when they're forced into it, when there's no other choice. You know, there's no other choice but allow people work from home at the moment. There's no other choice but to reconnect with your clients and find out what's happening for them at the moment. There's no other choice if you have a big cyber alert to do something about it and to do things differently. So a lot of time, that's when people have to embrace this agility when there's no other choice. And, and that's fine. 
And, and that leads nicely into the question which uh, I asked everybody, which was about sink or swim. So you mentioned it's, it depends on what happens if you fail, right? The, the, yes. the environment. Yes. So, yeah. well, you know, what's your view on sink or swim and has it evolved over time? So I suppose um, when I thought about sink or swim, Years ago, when I was promoted from a HR manager in a unit with 150 people to a regional HR manager with over 5,000 people. And I was delighted. I got the job. I was given an office in Kensington in London. And the first day I arrived, lovely office sit in. There was flowers on my desk, shut the door, put my hands on my head and went, oh, wow, how am I going to do this? Okay. Now, sinking wasn't an option. I never thought about sinking. I thought about how am I going to do it? What, what do I do to make sure I'm successful in this role? So I suppose I've always had that approach. You know, sinking's not an option, so you just have to learn how to swim. And I've changed it slightly recently because I do believe that you have to sink, but in a safe environment. And that comes back to the point I've made earlier. So now I believe we have to encourage people to dive. You have to dive in, but knowing you can resurface and that there is a support there for you and quickly dry yourself off and dive again. And I, and I think all of us remember as a kid, let's say when you did your first dive, that, you know, the the, the, the gut-wrenching sensation yes. before you do it. And, yeah. and I think that many, many people, as you become established in your career, you just lose that habit. You lose yes. the muscle. I'm going to ask you, come back to the sort of the main group that you work with and to help them. What, what's the one, one or two takeaways that you would give or advices that you would give? My main piece of advice um, to people who want to go on to that ultimate leadership role is to consider yourself a leader now, to think about you're a leader now and to think about um, what kind of leader you want to be. What's your vision, not only for your organization and company, but what's your vision for you as a leader? And when you think about that leader you want to be, then look at yourself now and see how close are you to that and develop a map to getting there. So the homework for all the listeners is to to have to have their little their little sentence or two in terms of what's your vision yeah. for yourself what's your vision for yourself you won't have stats on this but if i ask of the top 100 people you work with how many people do you think have that could recite that here and now so the people that have come through my program i would say 99.9% uh uh, absolutely uh, have it um, because that's what we take them through and that and they're there because they want to be there so um but typically speaking no people find it very hard the first time I say to anyone give me your elevator speech of why you're a leader they find it very hard to answer but guess what once they start working on it and thinking about it they're able to answer it so my role is is, is creating that space so they can answer that question comfortably and meaningfully for them Brilliant. Well, I think that's a that's a, a motivator for those who've done it. A congratulations <laughs> for those who've gone through the work, and also uh, a stimulus for those who haven't done it yet. That it is that it is possible and it's it's worthwhile. So, Jackie, a real pleasure. Thanks very much for your time. You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.